0: Today's show is brought to you by Leatherman Data Services. How would things have gone for LaSalle if he'd had a good mapmaker to find the Mississippi? What if the Santa Fe expedition had been able to commission a detailed survey plot of all the wells and springs from Texas to New Mexico? If Leatherman Data Services had been around back then, Texas history may have turned out differently. Leatherman Data Services are experienced cartographers who share your passion for the past. They provide high-quality mapping and geographic data services for historians, archaeologists, and cultural resource management firms, people who plumb the depths of history and need their maps to be accurate. If you think you may need their services, you can contact Leatherman Data Services by sending an email to LeathermanDataServices at gmail.com, or find out more at their website, LeathermanDataServices.com. We thank Leatherman Data Services for sponsoring this episode and many others on the History Podcasters Network. You can find more shows like this one at historypodcasters.com.
1: You can find them in your local lending library. Howdy. You're listening to Come and Take It, a talk show about Texas by Texans, where three friends born and raised in the Lone Star State share our views on the history, culture, and just what it means to be Texan. I'm Mike Zolkoski.
0: And I'm Sean McIver. And I'm Scott Elfstrom.
1: From their origins as independent frontiersmen to the modern lawmen using the latest technology to fight crime, the history of the Texas Rangers has been dominated by a long procession of memorable men that have become legendary names in their own right. Before we talk about these legends, though, what's your favorite Texas cop show that isn't Walker, Texas Ranger? I
0: am going to have to go with The Good Guys, starring uh, Colin Hanks and Bradley Whitford.
1: You're busted.
2: (laughs) Well, I'm going to go back all the way to the 80s to a very short lived show called Houston Nights starring Michael Beck and Michael Perret. Uh, Michael Perret was a New York cop who came to Houston. And Michael Beck's the truck-driving, redneck, uh, cowboy cop that is his partner. Great show. Who would
1: ever expect these two completely different stereotypes (laughs) to get along? Exactly. But in Houston.
2: Yeah, and I forgot
0: what I loved about the good guys was police headquarters was fair park yeah (laughs) and what appeared to be all of the crime in dallas occurred in deep Ellum.
1: i like dallas swat because i like reality in dallas didn't you know a guy that was on that show (laughs) yeah i knew one of the dallas swat guys he was like a mack truck like wearing (laughs) pants like (laughs) well at least he was wearing pants yes so,
0: in our first discussion about the Texas Rangers, we spent some time talking about the first great Ranger captain, John Coffee Hayes, and his significance to the early development of the Ranger legend. Who were some of his contemporaries, and who also made their name in the early days of the
2: Texas frontier? One of the most memorable Rangers from the early years was William A.A. A. Bigfoot Wallace. Wallace was born in Virginia in 1817, and he came to Texas after he'd heard that one of his brothers and a cousin were killed in the massacre at Goliad. His intention was to, quote, take the pay out of the Mexicans. He was a large man of over 6 feet and 240 pounds in his prime, which for that time was very large. And, when he, and that's where he got the name Bigfoot from. Wallace fought with Jack Hayes and his men through the 1840s, including the ill-fated Mir Expedition, where he survived a march to Mexico City as a prisoner and the, back, the Black Bean incident. Bigfoot protected the frontier from Comanches during the Civil War, and he eventually settled down on a small ranch near a town that was named Bigfoot in his honor. Much like his friend and ranger partner Creed Taylor, most of what we know about Wallace came from stories shared directly by him. He loved to sit on his porch and spend these yarns about his life. Such is the story of Era Muerto, which we talked about on our Halloween episode last year. No doubt all of his stories were completely true and accurate. In his later years, Wallace claimed his debt with the Mexicans for killing his brother had been squared. He died in 1899,
1: and he was buried in the Texas State Cemetery. Also serving with Hayes was Samuel Walker, a Maryland native born in 1817. Walker came to Texas in 1842 and helped fight off a Mexican invasion in San Antonio. He officially joined the Rangers soon after and fought with Hayes's company, during which time he helped Samuel Colt develop the six-shot Walker Colt revolver, improving on the five-shot Colt the Rangers had used to great effect. Walker was also a member of the Mir Expedition with Bigfoot Wallace and others. Likewise, he also survived the Black Bean Incident. He went on to captain his own company of rangers in the Mexican-American War. His ferocity and daring in battle was famous, and he earned the title Mad Walker even from his fellow rangers. It was during the Battle of Huamantla in 1847 that Walker was shot down by a civilian as he drove the Mexican troops out of town. It's interesting, Walker County was renamed after Samuel Walker after its original namesake sided with the Union in the Civil War. I guess the residents of Walker County uh, did not side with the Union.
0: Three-legged Willie Williamson was the first major of the Texas Rangers, getting his nickname because his right knee was permanently bent 90 degrees due to tubercular arthritis. Even with a wooden leg strapped to his knee to allow him to walk, Willie fought in both the Battle of Gonzales and the Battle of San Jacinto. After the Revolution, he was elected district judge for Colorado County, and his original courthouse was the shade of an oak tree in Columbus. He later served in the Republic's Congress and the state legislature, retiring to his farm in 1850. Three-Legged Willie wrote one of the earliest eyewitness accounts of the Texas Revolution. He died in 1859 and was buried in the state cemetery.
2: The McCulloch brothers, Ben and Henry, grew up as neighbors to Davy Crockett. They were probably only about 12 miles apart. (laughs) That's the closest neighbor. (laughs) Uh, when Crockett was on his way to Texas and eventually the, the Alamo, the McCulloch brothers intended to meet up with his volunteers in Nacogdoches, but Ben got the measles, so the trip was delayed. They arrived in Texas too late to, to die with the Tennessee boys. Uh, ben would end up commanding one of the twin sister cannons at the Battle of San Jacinto, and he later took up surveying with Captain Hayes. Both, both of the McCulloch boys fought in the Battle of Plunk Creek against the Comanche. They served in the Mexican War and were both generals in the Civil War. Ben was killed in the Battle of Pea Ridge in Arkansas in 1862, but Henry survived and died in Seguin in 1895.
1: Henry Wax Carnes, the namesake of Carnes County, served as a spy for Sam Houston during the Texas Revolution and went on to serve as a ranger after the war. He is famed for having come up with the crowbar method of house-to-house fighting in the Battle of Bejar, which was used by the rangers in the Mexican War to help win the Battle of Matamoros. Carnes died in 1840 in San Antonio of yellow fever. And, of course, is also Cree Taylor. Now, we probably talked enough about
2: him for now, but you can't talk about the Texas Rangers in the 19th century without at least mentioning the Forrest
1: Gump of Texas history. John Salmon Ford was educated as a doctor and a lawyer and served as both, all before joining the Texas Rangers under John Coffee Hayes during the Mexican-American War. Later promoted to captain, Ford fought Indians in 1850 and 1851 and then was elected to the Texas Senate in 1852, Siding with the Confederacy in the Civil War, Rip was instrumental in forming trade agreements with Mexico and also served as a colonel in the Confederate Army. He's probably best remembered as the commander of the Confederate forces in the last battle of the Civil War, the Battle of Palmito Ranch. Ford got the nickname Rip because he always wrote Rest in Peace after every name when he wrote up the casualties in his ranger company. Throughout his life, Ford owned, ran, and wrote for a long string of newspapers, including the Galveston News. The son of noted
0: frontiersman Shapley Ross, Lawrence Sullivan Sol Ross, was a veteran Indian fighter who had helped track down Buffalo Hump before he joined the Texas Rangers in eighteen sixty. Ross led many successful campaigns against raiding Comanche and Kiowa, many times turning the tables and raiding the natives instead of just reacting to their incursions, and he was the one who finally recovered Cynthia Parker from captivity among the Comanche. Soule went on to serve in the Civil War for the Confederacy, eventually gaining the rank of Brigadier General in 1864. At the end of the Civil War, Ross was only 26 years old. He was a general before he even turned 26. He spent life after the war farming, serving as sheriff of McLennan County, getting elected to the state senate, and eventually serving as the 19th governor of Texas. During his second term, Sol Ross was offered and accepted the position of president of Texas Agricultural and Mechanical College, today known as Texas A&M. Following his death in 1898, students at Texas AMC held the first silver tap ceremony in his honor, a tradition that is still followed when a member of the Texas A&M community dies. In 1914, a college was founded in Alpine in far west Texas near Big Bend National Park, bearing his name. Today, this school is Sol Ross State University. We've just scratched the surface of Sol Ross's life here. There's a lot there, Um, and hopefully we'll be able to explore it in a future episode.
2: Leander McNally was a Virginian who moved to Texas as a teenager in the hope that the climate would help with the consumption he'd suffered from since childhood. He was a lunger. When the Civil War started, McNally served in the Confederate Army during the New Mexico Campaign and the Battle of Galveston, and he later led a company of partisans in Louisiana. Stories I read said that he was spying on the Union camp wearing a women's dress at one point. After he was wounded at the Battle of Mansfield, he led a company of men in Texas that were tasked with rounding up deserters, probably up there in the Corners region. After the war, McNally settled in Brenham, he started a family, and in 1870, he joined the Texas State Police under the Davis administration.
1: Shout out to the folks listening in Leander. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. McNally was one of the few members of the state police who were retained when the Democrats reconstituted the Texas Rangers after Reconstruction. Named captain of the Special Force, he was tasked to bring order to South Texas where the combination of cattle rustling, Mexican bandits under Juan Cortina and Juan Salinas, and vendettas such as the Sutton-Taylor feud were creating turmoil in the region. While he didn't have much success in stifling the Sutton-Taylor feud... McNally put together an elite unit of rangers that aggressively dealt with Cortina and other bandits along the border and in the Nueces Strip between Corpus Christi and Brownsville.
0: McNally probably overstepped his bounds on numerous
1: occasions, including
0: pursuing bandits right across the border into Mexico. He generally had a shoot-to-kill, dead men make fine prisoners attitude, but McNally was effective. Before his death in 1876 of tuberculosis, he reestablished the reputation of the Rangers as a force to be reckoned with.
1: I think shoot to kill is effective. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's technically the less most paperwork. effective. Yeah,
0: you know, dead men are easy to deal with as prisoners, yeah. for sure.
2: Back then, less for paperwork.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah cuz it was like lethal weapon but on well, horseback.
2: And also remember, <laughs> like, I don't know, we rode <laughs> all over the woods, all over the hill country, we never saw. Yeah, them. and remember our Sutton Taylor feud uh store uh episode. Those jails weren't very good. So yeah. really right. it's probably more efficient just to shoot to kill. They, they can't try to escape if yeah. they're shot.
1: It's like 20, with like this list so far reads like 25 rigs and like, I'm waiting for the Murtaugh. <laughs> Where's the Murtaugh? It's not one. It's my last day. I'm about to retire. <laughs> John Barkley Armstrong was a Tennessean who moved to Texas after the Civil War and joined McNally's Special Force, earning the rank of Sergeant. He was second in command and earned the nickname McNally's Bulldog. After McNally's death, he became a lieutenant in the Rangers and would be the man who ended up tracking down and capturing John Wesley Harden in 1877. He was also at the gunfight where another famous outlaw, Sam Bass, was killed. He later retired from the Rangers and became a U.S. Marshal, a rancher, and presumably continued to cultivate his amazing mustache, which must be seen to be believed. We'll be sure to drop a photo in the show notes. Armstrong died in 1913. And, and his mustache might have lived on after him. It, it really looked
2: like a <laughs> walrus just parked <laughs> on, his, on his face. He, he looked like a great big walrus. So you, you'd probably be more terrified of the mustache than the, the pistols coming at you. Another contemporary of Armstrong's was Bill McDonald, and he was born in 1852 in Mississippi. His father was killed during the Civil War, and they moved to Texas shortly after the war ended. Now, as a teenager during the Reconstruction, he got caught up in some trouble with the federal officials, and they tried him for treason, but he was acquitted thanks to the help of some congressmen. He was college-educated in Louisiana, and he became a teacher of handwriting, apparently, <laughs> uh, after graduating, Then he moved east of Dallas to the town of Mineola, where he opened a grocery store. Uh, he gave up the store and became a deputy sheriff in Mineola before marrying and moving out to the Red River area near Wichita Falls in 1883. Then he became both a Texas Ranger and a deputy U.S. Marshal, which gave him authority to operate in Texas and in Oklahoma Territory.
0: In 1891, McDonald became captain of Rangers Company B and was involved with tracking down cattle rustlers and train robbers, murderers and kidnappers, and put down the Reese Townsend feud in Colorado County. His motto was, no man in the wrong can stand up against a fellow that's in the right and keeps on a comin." and he made sure that the men under his command lived up to that. He was sent to the border several times to deal with bandits and stepped in to stop the fitzsimmons Mayor Prize fight that we talked about in the last episode. As a result of these actions, and many
1: others, he was described as a man who would charge hell with a bucket of water. In 1905, McDonald became friends with and a bodyguard for President Theodore Roosevelt when he visited the state. He'd later do the same for President Taft and Wilson when they would come to Texas. During all this time as a ranger, McDonald only lost one man under his command. The legendary captain was shot numerous times and involved in several gunfights, but amazingly never killed any of his opponents. He always shot to disarm. Now, see, I think shoot to kill, again, (laughs) way more effective, but uh, (laughs) sounds like a great, great if you're a criminal.
0: Right. I would say pretty much anyone else except um, McDonald, Bill McDonald would... Yeah. Want to shoot to
1: kill. Well, today, if he was running for sheriff, there'd be a, a television attacker that said, like,
2: McDonald is soft on crime. <laughs> yeah. well, he shoots to disarm. <laughs> yeah, he, he actually was wounded a bunch of times, too. So yeah. that's pretty amazing that he mm-hmm. didn't kill anybody.
1: Well, he would later serve as a state revenue agent and then died of pneumonia in 1913, the last of the great 19th century Rangers.
2: Yeah, so this gets us into the 20th century. Now, we could talk for several more hours about the evolution of the Rangers from a frontier defense force into a modern investigative agency. And we could also talk a lot about other great Rangers of the 20th century. Um, These included Frank Hammer, who took down Bonnie and Clyde.
0: Bob Crowder, who single-handedly put down a riot at the Rusk Hospital for the Criminally Insane. Manuel T.
1: Lone Wolf Gonzalez, who was one of the great Ranger detectives in the 1940s. Now, we'll revisit this subject somewhere down the line. No, 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 stop. Let's just do two hours more on this now. <laughs> Keep your earbuds in, folks. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Uh, we'll revisit the subject somewhere down the line, but generally speaking, the Rangers came to embrace their new role as the State Investigative Division, and despite some difficult stretches in the teens and 20s, they've established a legacy of excellence in law enforcement.
0: But now we want to talk a bit more about what the Rangers mean to the culture, and more specifically, the pop culture of Texas.
2: Well, the interesting thing about it is... is, is That There's a museum in Waco, right right just north of Baylor University, off of 35, and it is the Texas Ranger Museum and Hall of Fame, and all of these guys are talked about in the Ranger Hall of Fame.
1: I see that all the time when I drive 35, and I think, that looks interesting, as I zoom right Right. by and say, I don't really (laughs) want to get off in Waco for two hours. I'm halfway there. And
0: the... uh yeah, there's the museum there, but they also have a really great website online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I lost a lot of time when I was doing research for this, <laughs> yeah. going through there. And they've actually, what I think is cool, and I hope that we can get into it, if, when we revisit the, the 20th century rangers, they've got a bunch of uh, oral histories mm-hmm. online where they sat down and they videotaped interviews with these modern rangers and just, you know, telling stories about cases they were on. And
1: Well, I think the thing I'd like to maybe say about the rangers is that for people who are listening who aren't from Texas or maybe not familiar with who the Texas Rangers are and what they mean, I mean, there's this idea of the Lone Ranger, but, you know, in the modern times especially, they've come to symbolize like the ultimate Texas police force. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they and when you read the old stories, I mean, they're, they're essentially like Navy SEALs. Like they're tough like Navy SEALs, they're yeah. yeah, trained we, like Navy SEALs. Yeah. Or, I think we
0: talked a bit about we that. We
1: talked about that, but they, that ethic has carried over into the modern day of, they're the best of the best, right. and even though they don't have a uniform, that's one of
2: the unique things about them. They don't they don't have a uniform. You don't get
1: a uniform. You don't get a car. You don't get anything. No, you don't get anything.
2: You get a badge. You get a Lone Star badge. But you can always tell a Texas Ranger by the way he or she carries himself. Yeah. Um. I was at a restaurant, a little diner where my parents lived many, several years ago, and they were having a little party at the next table over, and this guy was probably thirty five years old. He was dressed sharply. He had a hat uh, and it was the son of one of the local people in town. He was, he had just been made a Texas Ranger and I was in awe. I was, I was out of college by that point, but I was still like, oh my gosh, that guy's a Texas Ranger. That is a real Texas Ranger. And that was one of the coolest things I've ever seen is meeting this guy who's an actual Texas Ranger. And it's, it's an accomplishment of something that all the, all the state, you know, all the police in Texas, generally speaking, do aspire towards that goal. Yeah, and to
0: to bend us back more towards the pop culture, you know, we all grew up with the Lone Ranger. Mm -hmm. And... I hold silver! (laughs) Yeah. You know, when we were youngins listening to the radio on the wireless... No, I I remember there was the, the that old Lone Ranger movie from the eighties or oh, yeah, yeah. whatever it was. That I, I have vague a, memories of that. Like seventy eight, so, I think. Was it seventy was it that yeah. old? Yeah, I couldn't remember. I, I just, just I just remember watching it on TV. 78,
1: 79.
2: So, I yeah. I remember th- I remember the syndicated, the original Clay Moore show, and that yeah, again, that's that's the Lone Ranger. But another thing there was there's been several TV shows about yeah. the Texas Rangers. One famous show in the nineteen fifties was called True Tales of the Texas Rangers. And it was originally a radio show that Joel McCrae narrated mm-hmm. and then became a tv show and uh they actually had texas rangers as advisors for the show and they were based on real cases so it had a level of reality for the time that was it was pretty start pretty striking they weren't like wearing fancy fancy uh rhinestone suits and (laughs) everything they were they're real rangers so
1: well the term the lone ranger i think is very famous but you know scott you made the point that yeah they're a very effective force as a team yeah I mean, they're highly specialized groups. The original guys worked as as teams, and there was a lot of teamwork. And when they were, you know, one was deadly. One ranger is deadly effective and commands your respect. But you put four, five, six rangers together, and they're as effective as as 20, 30, 40 men. Right.
2: Well, and if you look at these guys in the 1800s, they, they are a little bit different in that they were representing the law of Texas in a lot of cases. But the law was not necessarily something... That they were hide bound to, uh, McNelly pursued bandits across the border into Mexico and killed them, uh, cre- and and actually engaged in a firefight with the Mexican militia.
0: Yeah, and there was actually a story. I don't remember. I don't remember which one it was now, but uh, I think during the Mexican-American War they were in Mexico and they somebody was one of their men was killed in battle and they went into a village and just basically massacred so they, they wiped everyone they came out. across, they women, wiped children. Yeah.
1: Well when reading the stories and hearing this uh, again, geeky pop culture coming, but you know, they're almost like a modern equivalent would be like Judge Dredd. Yeah. Like the judges of <laughs> Right. Mega well, City. Well, <laughs>
2: well, you know, their jurisdiction. the Rangers jurisdiction is the entire state of Texas. But as you know, as you saw from uh, Armstrong, he and his mustache pursued John Wesley Harden to Florida. And that's where he actually captured him, was in Florida. Um Not part of his jurisdiction at all. He was not a U.S. Marshal. U.S. Marshals could cross state lines. But he was, he still, the Ranger was going to get his man. And that was the deal. The Ranger was, is going to get his man.
1: There's a mystique to these guys that I think is only reflected in the idea of what uh, a modern U.S. Marshal is for people who aren't here. I mean, we don't have Delaware Rangers you know, and like the fearsome Delaware Rangers. Mm. Well, the other pop culture thing that I grew up with is one of my all-time favorite movies. And and so, Mr. Norris, if you're listening, you know you can contact me at Mr. Java, and we can talk about Lone Wolf McQuade for hours, <laughs> yeah. and just how it is the most next-level bonkers greatest movie ever. Mm-hmm. But the great ones always have style.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And well, uh,
1: well, the thing of that movie is, I don't. I think there's a lot less karate yeah. and a lot less. uh Facial kicks, and just a lot more, like, solid police work and straight shooting. And toughness. Yeah. Just and, toughness. Well,
0: he did, you know, shoot from the hip with his rifle yeah. a little bit. And
1: yeah. his pistol. Yeah. pistol. <laughs> he, did, he did have a, a big yeah. hand cannon in that one. Um, it's interesting, we were, you know, Sean and I were talking about the Rangers the other day, too, is that a lot of these guys today... Are the best and brightest? They're recruited from the Texas Department of Public Safeway, Safety, the Texas Highway Patrol, right, as they, well
2: as other police departments throughout the, the sheriff's departments. Throughout right, the state. right, right.
1: Yeah, they, these are guys who have been, you know, they've been effective in a lot of other police agencies, and they sort of graduate into this, much like you would see people move into the FBI and right. Yeah, and follow yeah. some. Yeah, of
0: well, work. yeah. I mean, that was one, I was reading through one of those oral histories and. Uh, the guy was talking about how he had started out as a state trooper, and then he got sent to work uh, narcotics out in West Texas, and then got attached to some rangers, you know, working out there, and then he got pulled into the Rangers unit because they liked what he was doing.
2: Yeah, yeah. The the interesting thing is, you know, compare it back to then is to the the days of the eighteen hundreds. A lot of these guys wore a lot of hats. Uh, you know, a lot. Wore, literally. A, literally. Literally, yeah. Much like David Crockett in the Alamo. <laughs> but they, they they had a lot of they had a lot of roles. Like Rip Ford is fascinating. He was a doctor and a lawyer and a newspaper man and a ranger and a poli- and a politician. Yeah. All of those things. Yeah. <laughs> within the space of about I was, fifteen years. And
0: reading through the, the material on this, I was surprised at how many Rangers, you know, went on, fought on the frontier, killing Indians, fighting in the Mexican War, and then, Hey, I'm the legislator now. Yeah. Which, I guess, shouldn't be that surprising, because that's well, the path that a lot of pol- politicians well, and
2: take. And Texas had a relatively small population.
1: So yeah, that's, you know, that's there's, there's 15 doing. people, so... Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. the president of yeah. Yeah. And then there's, New Mike Land. And then
0: there's people like uh, Sol Ross, who, you know, started out as an Indian fighter, became a ranger, then went back to farming, and then he went into, I guess he went into Congress, then he was a ranger, and, you know, ended up fighting in the Confederacy. He was a general... Then he turned twenty six. Yeah. <laughs> then he went on to be a farmer again. You know, it's just had he these became, really long he lives.
2: Became governor so. and then he became involved. You know, Texas A and M University. Yeah. So.
1: I, I think it's interesting, but the from a character standpoint, these guys sound like you know every elderly Clint Eastwood movie. Yeah, right. I hung up my guns twenty years ago and swore. And, you know, right? Like they're people were you know intimately fascinating and 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 just so bold. But but again, I think. It's a Texas institution. they they're these are what Texans we think of like yeah. the great Texans are. They're they're multifaceted people with you know interesting stories.
2: Right, and so it's interesting to probably most Americans today, the image of the Texas Ranger is is still Chuck Norris, but it's not Lone Wolf McQuade, it's Walker. Yeah. Uh, and Walker Texas Ranger, which was a very long running show on Saturday nights for eight years for elderly people and young children. <laughs> and and those terminally single, uh, with no lives. Yeah, I have uh, a
0: I have a nephew who used to walk around going
2: Walker Texas Ranger. Yeah, um, but it was but it was it was Texas Rangers, but it was very stylized and pop culturally. Um, if you really want to look at the Texas Rangers uh, and see really kind of what these men were like that we talked about tonight, you kind of need to go back and read Larry McMurtry's amazing Pulitzer Prize winning book Lonesome Dove. Because it's about two retired Rangers, and they talk a lot about the ethos that surrounded those two men. So I recommend that book to really get a good idea. And then the miniseries starring Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones is also amazing. So,
1: I'd rather watch the uh, the Ricky Bobby movie. <laughs> Walker in Texas Because he Rangers. named his kids Walker, Walker and, and Texas, Texas Ranger. Ranger.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, you should you should definitely watch Lone Wolf McQuaid. I think you can get it on Netflix,
1: right? I believe it's still on Netflix, yes. Yeah. And uh, if there our, are our good friends at How Did This Get Made... Yes. Well, I ha- mean, the- David Carradine's finest performance in Sansa Belt slacks <laughs> and a yellow pastel 80s sweater. Let's
2: put it this way. They bury him in his... his they bury his, him alive Bronco. In his... Yeah. Hey, no, no, no,
1: no, no, stop, stop. Let me start this over. Yeah. They bury him alive in his Dodge Ram. Dodge yes. Ram, that was what it was. It was a Dodge Ram... With some kind of crazy blower that isn't really a blower strapped to the engine. that's yeah. powered by a switch. <laughs> they beat him to a pulp, put him in his truck, bury him under the ground. He drinks a hot pearl beer. I was going to say,
0: <laughs> pa- Popeye had his spinach. Yeah. McQuaid has his pearl.
1: Yes. He drinks a hot pearl. It gives him enough energy to blast that truck out of the dirt. <laughs> to drive out of the dirt. Escape his, his buried alive coffin shoot a couple of guys dead and then ride off to save the day. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, and he rolls around with Barbara Carrera in the mud for like 20 minute sequence in slow motion. Yeah.
0: And that's what I like to think of all of our Texas Rangers doing. Yes. Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because Chuck played both sides. He played the you know, the idea of the lone wolf, this kind of down and dirty, yeah. you know, I don't like paperwork. I just like catching bad guys. And then he played Walker, Texas Ranger, which is the straight arrow, straight arrow, clean cut boy scout,
0: and pillar of the community.
2: Yeah,
1: but they really do represent both sides of what the Texas Rangers are. They're yeah. they're they're rough, tough guys who take no prisoners, but they're also like the very pinnacle of law enforcement and the best and the brightest. Go
2: out and watch them, and read about them. Read about them, uh, and the big source that Scott used for the research for these. Uh, this, these episodes was Robert Utley's, uh, yeah, yeah, Robert Utley's, the uh, Lone Star Lone Justice, Lone Star Justice, and then the second volume is called Lone Star Lawmen, and it's in the yeah. 20th century. So you should really go read those books. Um, you can excellent.
1: find them in your local lending library, yes, or your local half price books. That wraps things up for today. You can find notes and links from today's show at BrainStaple.com. We'd love to hear from you, so like and share us on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at Texas Podcast, or go to BrainStable.com and leave us some feedback. Be sure to indicate whether it's okay for us to mention you on the show. You can find our show and many other great history podcasts at HistoryPodcasters.com. You can follow us individually, too. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Java. I'm at Max Strong with two Ns. And I am Scotticus. If you like the show, tell your friends and please leave a review on iTunes. That really helps us out. We hope you'll join us next time, and remember that even if you aren't from Texas, Texas wants you anyway.